What's going on? Welcome to the Matt Bernier Show, part of the In The Money Media Network. My name is Matt Bernier. You can follow me on Twitter at Bernier underscore Matt. Today is Monday, November the 30th, 2020. This is episode 43 of the Matt Bernier Show. Plenty of ways to find it. If you are someone who likes to just listen, whether you're getting ready for your day, you're in your car, you're doing whatever. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, InTheMoneyPodcast.com, SoundCloud, you name it. Basically, anywhere you listen to your podcast, you can find it. Um, I would also encourage you to listen to the other offerings from In The Money Media, whether it is the Players Podcast, whether it is Talk Racing to Me with Naomi Tucker, whether it is the Redboard Rewind with Spencer Lugan Buell, whether it is JK Plus One with Jonathan Kinchin, you name it, whatever is out there, Nick Lux Daily Podcast, you can find all that and more on all the In The Money channels. I would encourage you to listen to them all. If you are someone who listens on YouTube and watches along, uh, thank you for that, obviously, but easy way to find it. Go on over to YouTube in that search bar, type in Matt Bernier Show. You get this show as well as the 42 prior episodes. This week's show, Friday feature, Gulfstream Park, race number nine with Howard Kravitz. I believe, and I'll talk to Howard more momentarily, the first two-time winner of the Friday feature, at least first two-time guest. Uh, he correctly identified Bodie Express as the winner of last week's Clark Stakes. Also, my mistake for calling it the Clark Handicap, uh, the Clark Stakes which was run last Friday at Churchill. He correctly identified Bodie Express. So we'll talk with Howard about that race as well as the Friday feature this week, Gulfstream Park, race number nine, back down there in Hallandale Beach. If you want to be in Howard's position next week, all you need to do, leave your selection beneath the video player on YouTube. If you're correct, I will contact you. We'll set up a time to do this thing next Monday. A little bit of a wrinkle for this week as well. I went over race number 10 at Gulfstream. And there were so many people that had reached out and said they enjoyed sort of the old school, old show, the old format back when I was working with the Daily Racing Forum, the preview and the review. Um, there, you know, this show, unfortunately, given the time of week that I record it, there really aren't a ton of great races drawn. But maybe they don't have to be great races. Maybe they can still just be races and I can at least handicap one. So I chose to do that this week with Gulfstream race number 10. And my idea is anyway to sort of pair up whatever the Friday feature is, which I'm, I try to make it a, not only a race where someone's going to pick a winner, but, but a competitive race and a quality race. You know, I'd rather it not be maiden claimers. I'd rather it not be, you know, kind of a mishmash of different things. I'd like to find some sort of quality along with a competitive field that the guests can go over and, and do the deep dive into. I chose to go with race 10 this week. It is a not one as a three lifetime on turf down at Gulfstream. The weather looks good for opening weekend down there. Um, so maybe going forward, that's how this thing will go. But the only way that I will continue to do it week in, week out, is I got to get that feedback. I got to hear from all of you. Do you enjoy the idea of more specific handicapping? Or do you like the way that the show is flowing along with the Friday feature and a little bit of uh, commentary on whatever's going on? Let me know beneath the video player on YouTube or on Twitter at Bernie or underscore Matt. This week, though, I will go over Gulfstream Race 10, and maybe we'll continue on with these sort of things in the future. Uh, thank you to those of you who followed along on Saturday afternoon with the daily blog from Delmar. Uh, I had a blast doing it. Wish it was a little bit more of a lucrative day, but I thought it was a good exercise to kind of get back into that idea of going through the day in its entirety. Um, for me, it feels like while the winners have been few and far between recently, they've been big numbers. 20 to 1, 30 to 1, you know, you, you or I shouldn't say 30 to 1, 20 to 1, $30, $40 type horses. So they make up for the losses. And that's what I, I know some people are critical of the idea 
of, well, yeah, but you, you know, you're not picking enough winners. And I, I get that. Look, I, I'm not pleased with the sort of number of winners that have been or haven't been selected recently. But that's why you pick and you find spots where you think you're going to get overlays because when you catch a couple of horses that are $20, $30, $40 types, all of a sudden they're, they're wiping out all those losses. And ultimately that's what you need to be looking for for the entirety of the year. So um, I had a blast with that. I think we might be doing the blog again at some point in the near future for RacingPicks.com, um, but certainly stay tuned for that. This opening piece, before we throw it into the Friday feature, it's just going to be a quick sort of aside to some of the things that happened this past weekend they happened at del mar specifically but they've happened all over the place first timing i don't get how this is still a thing timing and races we have and i know it's not an apples to apples thing because certain different entities have got giant budgets and other places don't and all that kind of stuff but i look at let's just use racing to racing right and it's not horse racing to horse racing horse racing to auto racing NASCAR, which, again, I understand is a large sort of corporate entity, they can time stock cars down to the, what, hundredths of a second? We have malfunctions in the timing constantly in horse racing. And it doesn't, there's, there really genuinely is no excuse for it, in my opinion. And I, I know I'm not on the management side of things at racetracks. And to the point of budgets, some tracks have more of a budget to you know do enhancements and things like that than others do. I'm well aware of that. But damn, how hard is it to time a race accurately? The owner shouldn't be on all the speed figure makers to have to go through and correct things that were malfunctions. I mean, our biggest race, in my opinion, our biggest race, the Breeders' Cup Classic, a malfunction. How does that happen? At a, even, and it's at a place like Keeneland. And I'm not saying it was Keeneland's fault. But but Jesus, how do we keep having the timing problems? It, 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 it is mind-boggling. I, you know, I, I play a lot of golf. And, uh, you know, you get on you get on something like TrackMan. TrackMan is a, a uh, I believe it's radar-based as opposed to some of them that are more uh, photograph-based. But it's a launch monitor. And the amount of data that it spits out in a matter of seconds would make your head spin. And I know, you know, a TrackMan's $20,000 piece of equipment. But how hard is it to time a race accurately when that little computer spits out 15 different things? It just, it, those are the sort of things that, and I, I, I'm not of the camp that suggests, oh, you know, we want racing to get back to its glory day. I think, I think people need to be realistic about where this industry is. We are a... We are definitely part of the mainstream sports, but we are, uh, if we're being honest, we're, we're toward the sort of peripheral area. We're in the boxing world. You know, if you want to include baseball at this point, that, that's your call. But it's never going to be the NFL. It's never going to be the NBA, NHL, MLS, any of that kind of stuff. But there's still no excuse for, for silly little things like this. And if your goal is to get back to that, whomever wants that to be the goal, this is inexcusable. Nobody's going to take that seriously if you can't even time the race right. So, and I I understand some people don't really care about time, but if you are someone who deals with speed figures, time is effectively the end-all be-all. Because without time, you don't have speed figures. So that to me, that was one thing that just drove me up a wall this weekend. And number two, and I won't spend a ton of time on this because this is a very... You know, everybody has a different opinion on the, simil- the same thing. 
the disqualification rules and suspensions and things like that. We know that Arad Ortiz uh, was served a three-day suspension uh, for the Fluffy Sox ride um, in the Jimmy Durante, but he wasn't disqualified in that instance. And, you know, you have different camps. You have camps that say there should not be any disqualifications. You have camps that say, that say there should be DQs. You also have camps that say the best horse, regardless of the situation, shouldn't be DQ'd. I, to me, that, that I, and my suggestion was, and I said it will never, ever, 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 ever happen. I tweeted it on, on Saturday afternoon. But if you made it as simple as a foul is a foul, I can guarantee you, and this is not meant to be directed specifically at somebody like Arad Ortiz. We see it happen all the time across the country, day in and day out. I can guarantee you, if you went by a foul is a foul, and you have a rider on the best horse, you better believe they're not going to be in a position where they potentially have to foul in order to make sure that the horse can run. I can guarantee it. You'll have different rides. Horses will be ridden differently if it was as simple as a foul as a foul. And I know some people are vehemently against that idea, and that's fine. We all have opinions. But I don't believe that you should be, if you're on the best horse, you shouldn't be allowed to just go through and start cleaning people out left and right. Because what will it take? It'll take a disaster, and then somebody, it'll be a reactionary sort of piece as opposed to a precautionary kind of thing. And if you made it as simple as a foul is a foul, you're not going to have those instances of the best horse by a mile having to bull its way out at the rider's order in order to have a chance of winning. They're not going to be in that position to begin with if it could potentially cost them a chance to win the race. And and that's just my opinion on how things, how this could very easily be addressed. And this goes back to the whole central governing body situation and all that jazz. And like I said, everybody has different opinions on the way things like this should be handled. But if it's as simple as if you leave it up and you say, and to be honest, I'm going to butcher it. Category one versus category two. I don't, I don't remember which one's which. But one is of the mind frame or the mindset of the best horse. If the best horse committed a bit of a foul and it didn't alter that one, you know, the horse that was fouled's chances, and this horse is going to, you know, went off and won by 15, then that horse should still win. I, I'd see the point that that horse was the best in the race, but where's the line drawn? It's always going to be a subjective idea. Whereas a foul is a foul. If I'm on the best horse, I'm going to probably make sure that I don't get into a pinch. And I'm not boxed in, turning for home, and the only way for me to find a seam is to just absolutely bumper car my way out into the clear and go. It's it's one of those, and I, I don't want to, you know, I can't overstate that this isn't specifically you know, directed at somebody like a Rad Ortiz. This this happens all the time. You name it, different jurisdictions, different riders. We see it all the time. So it's not a case-specific piece. You know, it's not because of this one instance that happened on Saturday. But it's the bigger talking point of there needs to be, A, uniformity. we got to figure out what the hell, who's doing what. But B, if you're really of the the mind frame of trying to make it as safe as possible... I think a foul is a foul is the only way to go. Yes, it could screw betters left and right. But by the letter of the law, it's pretty clear. Foul is a foul. 
Just my two cents on it. Let me know what you think beneath the video player on YouTube or on Twitter at Bernie or underscore Matt. Uh, let's get into the Friday feature for this week. Gulfstream Park, race number nine. Nom winners of one other than. It's nice to be back at Maine Gulfstream. It's sad to see Calder go, but it's nice to get back to Gulfstream. That means that we've got bigger and better racing on the horizon. Howard Kravitz is going to be here to help us out with this week's Friday feature. If you want to be Howard's position next week, again, leave your selection beneath the video player on YouTube. Here we go. The Friday feature, Gulfstream, race number nine. Feature time, and I believe, not including the Breeders' Cup feature episode, where we had a number of people who have been on and... and things of that nature. Howard Kravitz is the first two-time Friday feature guest. You're not the first person to uh, correctly identify two winners, but you're the first person to be on here twice. Howard, congratulations. How are you? I'm doing great, Matt. Thanks. It's a real pleasure to be back. And, uh, you know, great to talk to you again. So, Bodie Express, um, he was the horse that you identified in the Clark last week. I liked him as well. Um, first, first things first, I'm curious. Let's talk about the race but you told me there are some other pieces to go along with the story. Um, I got to be honest. I expected him to be on the lead. Where did you expect him to be? On the lead. I <laughs> mean, Phantom Currency, Phantom Currency was 155 to one and just went to the lead. And at that point, I wasn't that discouraged only because Bodie Express was sitting pretty. They won 47 and four to the half, Matt. And Bodie Express was a length and half off. So really, he only went about 48 to the half. So Although he's never really rated against good horses and gone by, I knew he was going to go by Phantom Currency at that point. The question is, there were so many other, you know, quality horses behind him. I really wasn't sure what's going to happen. But, uh, you know, he was in a good spot. I will say one thing before we talk about the details of the race. This is the first time I've seen Bodie Express act very professional. No issues in the gate whatsoever. And he was in the gate for quite a while. Yes. No issues in the gate. Broke just fine. I mean, he looked like a real, true, mature racehorse, which is something that he had not been in previous starts. And that's one of the things that, that led me to make, sort of send out my tweet following it. And I know some people kind of rolled their eyes, but I, I do think if this is what this horse is turning into, and granted, he only earned a 102 buyer. I don't know what the time form rating came back, but I, he's for a division that is seemingly sort of void of talent now with so many horses retiring. Why can't he be at least a contender in some of these big races? It's so funny you brought it up because I, I mentioned I, I, something I wanted to talk to you about with Pegasus. I mean, Improbable retired, Maximum Security retired, uh, Tom Zita retired, Authentic retired. The older male division is completely wide open now. Now, I'm not going to suggest by any way, shape, or form, Boating Express is going to go to the top of that list. But I know you've talked about this before. He did pair up his buyer tops, 102 again, and he passed good horses, and he held off Code of Honor, who... Here's the great story, Matt. So I, you know I'm a pick five player, right? Yes. So I was live in the pick five. I'll be brief. Code of Honor is my lone A. I mean, I, I know I picked Bodie Express for the contest, but but honestly, I think we all commit Code, uh, Code of Honor was definitely the most likely winner of that race. I just could not put Bodie Express as an A in my ABC ticket. So I was alive only to Code of Honor. So top of the stretch, Velasquez gives him a great ride, right? He angles out. I think 95% of the people thought, okay, he's going to go by Bodie Express, who's never really beaten this kind of a horse in his entire life. Bodie Express holds on. I would have had the 19 to one shot in the last leg of the pick five. The pick five, Matt, came back $78,000 oh. on Friday. And <laughs> I have to, I have to laugh because I know people are going to think at home, what an idiot. Why didn't I just put Bodie Express as a lone name? But you know what, Matt, you have to make these decisions. There's no way 
that was going to have Code of Honor and Vote Express weighed equally in an ABC ticket based on what they've done. And if Code of Honor won, I still would have cashed by for about 10000 So, um, but you know what? Being on the Matt Bernier show, there's, you know, that's a great thing. That's priceless. You can't put, it, can't put a place on that. So I'm very happy to be here. But I can't say that I wasn't ha- uh, hoping a little bit that uh, Code of Honor went by in the stretch. I tell you what, it sure as heck ain't worth 78 grand uh, being here and, and chatting with me. It, it certainly is not worth that much money. But no. Um, that's um, but I, th- I think it is a good point that you bring up, though, and sort of I don't always do this, but some weeks I'll sort of record segments out of order and then we just put them all together. Producer Craig does his thing. So I actually recorded the ending of this show before chatting with you here on, on Monday afternoon. And I brought up the the idea of being being realistic. I think some people are a bit overzealous when it comes to estimating a horse's chances of winning. And I think when you laid out that. Code of Honor was your lone A, and Bodie Express was, I don't know, a B or a C. I it think, was a B, Okay, yeah. and I think, I think that's you as a handicapper being realistic, saying, you know what, as I do like Bodie Express, and I try, to, I, try, I try to personally explain it, whether it's in a write-up or it's in a video. I like the horse. I only made him 8-1 to one on my line, when in reality, a horse like Code of Honor or a horse like By My Standards, if we're just talking about probability, they were much likelier winners, I think, than Bodie Express was. That doesn't mean that Bodie Express, to me, didn't offer value at the price that he went off. But I think sure, that- I actually thought I actually thought he'd go off higher. I'm a little surprised he went off eleven to one. I think he took some late money. Oh, he got smashed um, late because he was nineteen to one in the gate. Yeah, he took some late money. It's obviously the smart money. It always comes in late. But, but I know people are home and thinking, you know, I should have seventy eight thousand dollars in front of him. But you know what? If Code of Honor went by and won like I thought was more likely. There's nothing wrong with collecting 10,000. And if Code of Honor had won and I am as a B and I get nothing, I, you know, I'd be very upset with myself. So, um, listen, those, the, you can second guess yourself all day. Totally. I thought Bodie Express was interesting. The fact of the matter is he did something in that race that he's never done before in his life, which is rape and then go buy good horses and hold off horses at the end. And there's no reason why I think he can't be a fact in the Pegasus. I wrote some horses down he might face, King Guillermo, Mucho Gusto, maybe performer for Shug. Uh, Forza Dioro was an impressive trio that won over the weekend. He's progressing. I would assume one of the girls, either Monmore or Swiss, might go. Um, Baffert might send Charlton. Who knows, you know, if, if he comes back. By the way, Charlton versus Nashville in the in, in the Malibu <laughs> on opening day at Samia. Can you imagine 43 and four and a half? That would be, that, I'd love to see that happen. Somebody actually had asked about that when I was going through the Breeders' Cup races. They said you didn't even talk about the the best horse that ran all weekend in Nashville because he went off as the opener on Saturday morning. And and it's true. I mean, this is a horse that he, you know, I, I, there's a phrase that I picked up from uh, Mike Beer at the Daily Racing Forum. He would always just say easy speed. And, and that, this horse, it's not as though he needs to be asked to produce the speed that he has. He just does it on his own. And he's never taken a deep breath. And, and that that, to me is the thing where I, I don't know that there's necessarily more in the tank because Randy Moss has brought this up in the past, and I believe wholeheartedly the example I always use is Verrazano going a number of years back. Verrazano ran his race whether you asked him or you sat there on him still as a statue. Some horses are just going to give you what they've got. So I don't know that this means that Nashville all of a sudden, you know, I think he ran 107 and change on, on Breeders' Cup Saturday. I don't know that he could have gone 106. I don't, I don't know that that's necessarily part of the equation. But the fun thing is, or the thing that I think is fun, I don't know that. 
And and until we have an instance, and maybe we never will. Maybe he's just a freak of nature and he's just going to go off and do this every time. But until that question is asked, you have no idea. And that's to me is what's fun about it. Well, I think Jackie's worry is a perfect example of you don't know until they get pressured. And I mean, it's very possible uh, if he gets pressure put on him in the Malibu, it might be a different story. We just don't know. Or it might draw off and just be the next, you know, real superstar of, of horse racing uh it's the great mystery i mean it's it's a month away um but it's a race i'm already looking forward to to be honest because it's always a great race and with some of the names that are scheduled to be in there um that's been a great way to start the San Diego. and you brought up the pegasus world cup and while it may not be you know we, we've had matchups of, of california chrome and arrowgate in the past and we've had horses like gunrunner go through there while we may not have any of those horses you know another horse that it sounds like is at least exploring the the option is is nick's go who has freaked out in both of his starts at Keeneland. Obviously, he ran so well at Oaklawn earlier this year. You know, maybe he's a horse who, you know, the distance is not a given, but he has won at longer distances, you know, a mile and 16th in the past. We'll find out about a mile and an eighth, but he's at least another one who will, A, ensure that there's pace, and B, maybe he is the kind of horse that can take that sort of, you know, in a division that's right now seems a little unsteady, maybe he can be one of those players next year. Yeah, I mean, and, you know, Gulfstream tends to be speed favorite when you want to be forwardly placed on that track. Um, post position is always really important, of course, uh, in that race, uh, going two turns. But, you know, the way Mexico ran, I, I, I will rarely admit I was a little bit against him in the Breeders' Cup only because I knew there was so much speed. And we went 44 in some of the half. I didn't think he'd last, but, I mean, Brad Cox had, a, had about as good a weekend as uh, Mr. Brown had this past week at Del Mar, where he just went to California and just – Stole all the cookies from the cookie jar and and didn't leave any crumbs for anyone else because he was just unbelievable. And, and and the fact that Viadero won and defeated Blowout, who I think ran an exceptional race given the pace situation, and I can still make the case that I don't know that either of them are the most talented of Chads that ran in that race. I still believe most in Tama here, and I think she could end up being a superstar down the line. Give also keep in mind, I was texting with my buddy Dan Elman. And he, he brought it up as well. Tammy here, the, the plan wasn't to go to the matriarch. The plan was to run down at Churchill. And unfortunately, when they abandoned turf racing, we had to call an audible. And, and it was a vote of confidence, I think, from Chad to send her out there to begin with. But that, that's a lot to, to throw at her. It would have only been her second lifetime start in the United States. So I, I don't want to, because she didn't rally, I'm not going to hold that against her. I, I think she's got a big future next year. Well, and the other thing that I just gleaned from this weekend, and if you were paying attention, the Breeders' Cup was a week later than it usually is, and there were some horses. Uh, your, your buddy, by my standards, uh, you know, ran recently you know, in the Clark. Uh, they did not run well. Almost every Breeders' Cup horse that ran three weeks ago did not run well. And I think mainly it's because it's a bit of an afterthought. I mean, no one preps for the Breeders' Cup and then says, okay, let's just run three weeks later. I think trainers and owners just think we just have the class and the horse is feeling fine. But obviously they're all gearing up for the Super Bowl, you know, and um, I think there's some really bad money out there. Uh, I was not correct all the time this weekend, of course, but no one is. But I was against the Breeders' Cup horses in general uh, just because that quick turnaround is usually does not work out well. I, I have brought that up in the past and, and more often than not. And you do get exceptions. A horse like Arklow, who you know obviously went out to, to win the Hollywood Turf Cup. But for him, it was such a tremendous drop in class you know, that you can factor that in. And I suppose you can use that sort of same narrative for the other horses that you had just mentioned. But I, I tend to agree with you. The idea is you have them at their absolute best for the Breeders' Cup. And it's almost like 
all right, well, it didn't work out, but we, we're not ready to put the horse away for a couple months or whatever it may be. Let's take a shot here. And to your point, it's, it's more or less an afterthought, whereas you get some of these other horses who are either lightly raced, um, they're stepping up in class for the first time, they've been pointing specifically for that race, whatever it may end up being, they're the ones who more often than not end up running well. And, and I think it's something that shouldn't go overlooked in a number of these spots going forward. I can even include races coming up at Los Alamitos, the Starlet and the Futurity. Whenever they run that, I have no idea who's going to show up there. But we've seen in the past horses who come out of the Breeders' Cup with the two-year-old races. And I know Keep Me In Mind kind of is would be the, the antithesis of what I'm talking about because he won the other day. But we, we've so often seen those horses who ran just a handful of weeks earlier when they're supposed to be in their biggest spot ever they come up flat for whatever reason, whether they're just, it's a quick turnaround or you have these other horses who, you know what they said, we'll bypass the breeders cup and we'll focus on that race right there. Yeah, no question. I mean, these are tough decisions. This one, when there's great ones being offered, like by my stands, for example, and you figure he was second best on paper. He got a wide trip. It didn't work out. I can't fault the connections for going. It just seems like more than not, it doesn't work out. Um, but the other thing, Matt, I had to ask you before we talk about the race. Sure. I read Ortiz's. I, I love, I read Ortiz. Um, there were two rides I thought over the weekend he easily could have gotten DQ'd from. And I don't want to start a big controversy. I mean, it's already out there. But um, one in particular, when I, when he, the, the ride on Fluffy Socks, and I didn't have any big money or interest in the race, but I'm really concerned a little bit about, you know, how dangerous some of these guys are, are riding and taking chances. I know it's split-second decisions and whatnot, but I'm not sure what the California stewards, you know, just figured that the horses that he sort of came over on were done. I don't know if you had an opinion or even wanted to get into it, but I thought twice this weekend there could have been DQs and uh, he was stayed up, which is good for him and Chad Brown. So for those of you who have listened to the top of the show already, for the next 10 seconds, you can just you can just quick fast forward uh, and then we'll get into it. But because Howard brought the question up. I didn't know you talked about it. So. <laughs> the idea for, for me, I think a lot of it, and I, the big thing for me was I, I tried to make it clear that this is not specifically an Arad Ortiz thing. This is There are riders all over the country in every jurisdiction that do this sort of thing. I tweeted it out on Saturday. I don't believe it'll ever happen. But to me, the easiest way to fix, I don't want to say fix it, but, but to alleviate this being an issue is ruling by a foul is a foul. And if you foul anyone, you're going to get disqualified. And I recognize it goes against what the rest of the world, for the most part, does. Where if the best horse is going to go off and win by 10 and they, they fouled somebody who ran 7th, eh, it doesn't matter. They're the best horse. We're going to leave them up. To me, it almost it almost entices the folks who are involved with these better horses to ride a little bit more recklessly. And yeah. I, I, I t- at this point, I feel like it, it's going to be more reactionary than sort of proactive when someone gets hurt. And then you're going to look back and say, oh, well, we should have done this. Whereas if you did something as simple as if you foul someone, you're out or you're disqualified, I guarantee you, especially in big money races, you're going to get different rides from the riders on these horses. If you're on on a four to five shot, you're not going to be in a position where you have to foul in order to have your chance, have an opportunity to win. Well, That's I, my opinion. And, and if people have already gotten hurt and I, I, it's tough for me to bring this up because it's two of my favorite jockeys when I was younger, but Ramon Dominguez and Renee Douglas, uh, Renee Douglas, unfortunately uh, was paralyzed. And I was actually on the rail that day when he got hurt at the top of the stretch at Arlington and uh, Ramon Dominguez also, I think he had a concussion that sort of began the end of his career. Both were sort of cut off a little bit. I mean, I'm not suggesting any way, shape or form 
that IRAD's doing it on purpose, right? These guys are trying to hurt each other. But to me, you know, if you're driving on the highway, right? Now, I know how it is in out east in Boston or they're going to drive up, mid, up, up in the Midwest real nice here with the way we drive. But if you've got a car next to you left or right and you want to move in that lane, just because that car is moving the same speed or slightly less than you are, if you're still there, you can't just create your own hole and just bump them over and say, now it's my lane. I bet maybe that's not the best analogy to use, but to me, I just think it's, I think they're setting a dangerous precedent on these stores. I'm just mainly concerned about the welfare of the horses and the jockeys. It's not my betting dollar. It's more about the sports integrity that I'm worried about. Just have the same rules in the same state, I, in all the states. I just, I don't understand why that's a difficult thing. But anyway, I don't want to get on my soapbox too much. It's just, it's an issue, Matt, that needs, it needs to be looked at carefully. No, I, I, I couldn't agree more. And I just I, I keep saying it. This is not specifically directed at a Rad Ortiz Jr. This not at is, all. There not are all. a million riders who do this sort of thing all the time. And it's it just the reality of the situation right now, it feels like, is it's going to take something catastrophic to happen for there to be a major. I mean, go back to the Kentucky Derby last year. I mean, th- that could have been a disaster. Uh, and yes. thankfully it wasn't. But... It, will it take a disaster for there to be change? And the problem is, if the disaster is too large, have you gone? Is it too far gone? And now, now the public spotlight is on you, and now you're trying to explain why certain things happened and why. Oh well, now we're going to make remedies. Well, at that point, it's probably too late. So, well, I think there was one major difference between I read this weekend and the Derby. I, I think in the Derby, the, the horse you know, Massive Security clearly just sort of went out on his own. That wasn't a jockey issue. You know, the jockey didn't set size, didn't actually go out on his own. It didn't appear. Look at the horse just reacted to something. As opposed to Irad actually trying to find a hole that either was or were not there, depending on your opinion of, of the situation. No, fair, fair point. Fair point entirely. It's just, it's. I agree with you. It is one of those things that until there is some uniformity, I feel like this is just going, we're going to be bringing this up every handful every five six weeks and that's probably being generous it's probably going to be a lot shorter than that who knows maybe we talk about it again this weekend at some track so uh, you know i I think it's definitely something that needs to be addressed for everyone's sake most importantly horse and rider but then also the integrity of the betting dollar and the industry itself i think you need to be taking care of these sort of things hopefully hopefully we can get some progress at some point but um definitely understand where you're coming from and look it's part of the reason i talked about it at the top i mean it's that and timing i don't understand how how these things continue to happen and we just kind of brush them off but another story for another day let's talk about this race here the friday feature race nine at Gulfstream. it's a non-winners of one other than the optional claiming tag is twenty five thousand dollars a mile and a 16th on the turf the rails out at 84 feet it is opening friday opening weekend they're actually kicking off on wednesday down at Gulfstream, it's going to be nice to get back down there as we inch closer and closer to the Pegasus and then clearly the Florida Derby coming up uh, a late March, early April, whenever that race typically falls. Uh, Howard, this isn't a giant field, but I think it's a pretty good field. I think these are some salty runners. You have a horse who's uh, an MTO in all likelihood based on the weather. It looks like everything's supposed to be beautiful, so I'd be stunned if this horse ran. That's Starship uh, Aramis. If you're, or Aramis, if you're an Aramis Ramirez fan, um, you know, I look at this field and say the pace doesn't seem like it's going to be electric. I think you have some horses who like to be forward. How did you first go through this? Well, the first thing I'm going to say is the first time I was on the show, I picked uh, Jackie's Worry to get on the show. Grade one winner, great year, right? <laughs> and I picked Cur- I picked I picked Currents when I was on the show for the uh, 
uh, over the summer who has been absolutely awful since I picked him, and a horse called Say the Word, who we were like, who's the Say the Word, who was 40 to 1, went on to have a great uh, summer and just finished third this weekend. So here's what I'm saying, Matt. The winner of this race is going to win a grade one <laughs> next year based on what's happened with me in this show. I like that. Um, that's not going to happen. But to answer your question, uh, there's not a lot of speed in this race. Um, Silenced, I think, is clearly going to have the lead. Um, as of this broadcast, we don't have morning lines, so we're not. I'm not sure the odds are going to be. Um, Silence is interesting. He's he's absolutely lone speed on paper. He was pushed to a crazy fast pace last time. You ask me how I look at the race. I usually look at a pace first. I try to put together in my mind how the race is going to shape out, which is one of the reasons why I like Bodie Express a little bit uh, last Friday. So the Sirens should have the lead, but here's my problem. Cherie DeVoe uh, is a new trainer for the source off of Peter Erden. Uh, Shri DeVoe as a new trainer, sorry, a trainer with a new horse, 0 for 19 with a new acquisition, only 1 for 19 in the money. So, and, and also, um, you know, Harmio is a really good rider. He's very aggressive. I just don't think if Peter Erden, such a good trainer, didn't want this horse going long too much, I'm not sure this horse can get the distance, even though I think there's a possibility he's going to be loose. So that was actually going to be the first thing that I, I sort of brought up with you about this horse. And I'm glad you already touched on it. You know, I take a look, I, I use the time form us pace projector and the pace figs to kind of get an idea of how horses ran the races that are coming out of. Yes. This horse was up dueling on a fast pace, but for the first time going out to two turns, you know, what was the pace, the reason the horse faded as badly as he did, or is there a distance issue? And even with the softest of pace scenarios signed on, you know, do you need to be taking a short price to find out that the horse can't get the distance? Well, first of all, I don't think, I personally don't think he's going to be a short price. I think he's going to be five or six to one in this race. Mm -hmm. He was pushed in that race by a 35 to one shot who had no business being up close to the lead. So it would not shock me if this horse got the distance in one, but like you said, I would never take a, a somewhat medium price to find out. I just don't like the trainer situation and I think there's other quality animals in this race that may not be able to push him that much early, but I just don't think he's going to be able to hold that going off. So you have a horse drawn just to his outside who is very lightly raced in American Phenom. This is an American Pharaoh Colt who, you know, won in Gates of Wire fashion last time out. But I, I think in that five furlong race in July, at least showed the ability to pass some runners. So I don't think he's absolutely need the lead type. The problem is he looks like he's a little bit light on figs and that most recent run, he walked in a very soft pace. Where do you think he's going to be positioned? Well, if I'm Vasquez, I'm just sitting right off of silence. Um, I, American Phenom is like your perfect contest. For those of you who play contests, I think he's a perfect contest horse because he could go either way. He could stalk. He's going to get first one on the closers. He should sit a great trip. He's bred out of Pharaoh. Um, and the damn side is uh, out of Chaparelli. was a very nice stake horse out of out, ghost, uh, ghost Zapper on the, on the bottom there. So this horse has got some breeding talent, costs 340000 I almost picked this horse on top of my top choice just because of all those interesting things. But there's two things that bother me a little bit. One is Zayas was on this horse the last two times, and now he's going to Sappy Joseph's horse, Arrhythmia. I don't want to make too much of – we don't know the stories. Maybe he's got a contract with Safi. I'm not really sure. But if Zayas really liked this horse, wouldn't he stay on him? That's one – Thing that I'm a little concerned about. And the other is he's never sat off horses and passed and then held off real good ones. So there's sure. just a lot of question marks. However, he's very interesting. And anyone who's playing your contest on, you know, line to be on the show, 
that would not be a bad pick at all. And I think he's going to be that kind of horse that, especially for sort of the class players, because some of the horses that he's run against, they really haven't done much as far as figs earned out of the races that he's run against them in. Um, I, I wonder if he's going to be, I don't want to say a large price, but a healthy price. Put it that way. One that, you know what, if you're if you're inclined to take a shot, if you don't like any of the shorter numbers, you could do worse than a horse like this. I agree. There's only seven horses in this race. I looked at the weather. Uh, it's going to be fine all week. Friday, 50 50s, uh, you know, a little chance of rain, but I, I'm assuming they're going to run. And the other thing that I think people should keep in mind, and I don't know if you feel the same way, Matt, but early in the Gulfstream meet, this is going to be lush, really nice turf. They have not run in a, in, in a few months now. I tend to believe that helps closers a little more. Um, it's not rock hard like it can get in the spring, or you see sometimes it's at Saratoga or Belmont. I think early in the meet, I've noticed at Gulfstream, it does favor closers on the turf a little bit more. I could be wrong, but that's what I've noticed in the past. And, and sort of to that point, I'll, I'll really sort of plant this in, in people's heads, and I'm sure people will forget about it. Heck, I'll, I might even forget about it when it's, it's all said and done. The rail for this race is at 84 feet. I don't know how long they're going to have the rail out. Gulfstream is usually pretty good about moving it around, but I remember specifically at the fairgrounds last year, there was, on one of their larger days, the rail had been out at, I don't even know what it is, 18, 20 feet. And for that day, they took it down. And the inside was like a highway. If you got to the rail, because it was, and you could see, if you watched the head-on replay, there was a line where the inside looked like a golf course and the outside looked like your backyard. And it was one of those things where anybody that was down on the lush, greener-than-green part of the track, they just kept going. And anybody that tried to rally from off of it, even the horses that saved ground on the good grass and then tipped out into the clear, they were just on the chewed-up part of the turf. They couldn't make up any sort of ground. So that clearly isn't going to be an issue here on Friday. But I'll be curious to see how long they keep the rails out. And then when they finally do take them down, keep an eye on the horses who project to be able to get over, specifically horses who have a little bit of early speed and can clear to the front. Well, I think they go out to like 106 feet. I mean, yeah. if you've ever been to Gulfstream, that turf course is just huge. Yeah. Um, I, I remember the day your time out of fairgrounds, it was, it was Louis Indiana Derby Day. I think Factor this wired the yep. field. There were a few other uh, horses that wired the field. Um, I believe the rails do make a difference. I know some people don't, and that's a whole other discussion. But I mean, the rails are out, it, it does tend to help speed. However, because the grass is going to be so lush and unused, I don't think that's really going to be a factor in this race. As far as some other horses who have a little bit of tactical speed, uh, overall thoughts on a horse like Flow Motion for Jane Sabelli and Paco. This is always a potent team down in Florida. A horse has run well fresh off the bench in the past, has a little bit of versatility, can be forward, but can also rally from off of it if for whatever reason this thing were to heat up. Took on some decent enough horses in that most recent run. Reconvened, came back, and earned an 84 next out. Tree Shaker, an 81 buyer. The fourth-place finisher was the next out winner with an 85. What do you make of a horse like Flow Motion who really seems to appreciate the Gulfstream turf? Well, I think you have to give a lot of credit to Jane Sabella. She's just done a great job with this horse. It's just an old gelding. who's just a veteran. All, all this horse does is run. If you bet Flow Motion, you're, you know you're going to get the best out of him. He's going to sit. Just a, It looks a perfect trip. Paco rides really well there. I'm not concerned about the layoff at all. Um, Sabella's 22% off this kind of layoff with a $2.31 ROI. The source is 10 out of 14 in the money at Gulfstream. I think this is going to be the favorite. That's my guess. I'm not picking him only because he is the favorite and there's some other interesting horses in here. But he just figures to set a perfect trip. And interestingly enough, Matt, on the time form early pace figures, he's actually second fastest. So by the time form, he's just going to sit, you know, right off of silence in the pocket. 
I think he'll be a little further back. Um, but what, this horse is very consistent, very logical, must use in any horizontals for sure. And, you know, kind of to your point, there are other interesting horses in here. It's part of the reason that this was the race I ended up choosing for this week, because while it's not a giant field, I think you can make a case for almost the entire field, depending on how you view the race being run. Um, whether it's a horse like uh, Miaminoi, whether it's a horse like uh, Threshold, who's maybe a hair slow on figs, but really isn't far off. You've got a horse like Jolton Joe coming out of a race in which he was the beaten favorite in a stakes race at Gulfstream West. I guess long-winded way of saying, where did you sort of lean in this spot? So I, you know, Joel and Joe's going to take a lot of money. Of course, anyone who's named Joe is going <laughs> to bet this horse. So you know, this horse is going to be overbet, and it's Bravo and 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 Maker. But I get this is the kind of horse that I don't like for a lot of reasons. I'll be brief. First of all, this horse doesn't seem to be improving. I know this is a drop down from Stakes Company. This horse usually comes from the clouds. I do not like that at all. And people say, well, it's a short field. He's got less horses to pass. I believe it's counterintuitive because it's going to be a slower pace, and he might be close to that slower pace. But when they all make that big run into the turn, um, there are going to be other horses making that same kind of run. So this horse is not improving. I don't – Joan Joe can obviously win. Rhythmia can win, but I don't like the fact that um, he's coming from state breads. I think that's a, a step up. But obviously he can win. The horse I'm going with is Miami is Miaminoi. Um, Miaminoi is very interesting. First of all, Danny Gargan co-owns this horse, I, which is pretty unusual that the trainer also co-owns. So you know he's got a vested interest in this horse. This horse was fantastic. He, he lost his first race to Structor. No shame in that. It was his first race. Then he takes a break, comes back, runs a big race at Aqueduct. I watched the race. He won easily as a maiden. Then he goes to Dania Beach and loses the field pass, who is a very nice horse, just won in Canada. Uh, recently, face field pass again on the poly. I'm just tossing that out completely. Mm -hmm. Then here's my only concern: there's a lot of stops and starts with this horse. I don't know what's going on. I like to, you know, you think it might be a foot issue, but he's been working on dirt. So my experience, Matt, is if they're working on dirt, it's not a foot issue because they tend to work him on turf that situation. So I don't like the the layoff. But the race he ran at Saratoga, Matt, that was a serious field. Proven strategies to win that race as a stake horse for Mark Cassie. There are other good three-year-olds in there, Basquiat. That was a seriously talented field. And he just sort of ran around there. Now, here's why I really like this horse, Matt. Up at Saratoga, he was working with Silver Kitten, who was a stake horse for Garden. His last few works, and especially the last one, which was a bullet uh, at Palm Meadows, which 46 and 3, maybe even too fast. Yeah. That was with tax. I watched the videos on XBTV. Feel free to watch it. You didn't get to see the whole video, but here's my point. Garden is working him with his best in his barn. You must think very highly of this horse. I don't know if the trip's going to work out. I know he's good enough. I'm expecting a big step forward. I'm hoping to get three to one, seven to two. And if you want to look at this race in its entirety, I think this is the horse that's faced the classiest animals. And I think he has the potential of the biggest step up in buyers. But I will readily admit it's not my strongest opinion I've ever had. There are a lot of ifs here, but there are several angles I like. Plus, he puts sayas on him. You can't go wrong with three sayas. To your point about that run, the N1X up at Saratoga, you know, you, you rattled off proven strategies in Basquiat. Four of the horses, including proven strategies, who was the next out winner, they all came back to earn buyers between 85 and 89. And if you look at that compared to the 
balance of this field. And I get it. Miami wasn't really all that close to those top few. But if, if you think that he can live in that mid-80 range, I mean, th- this race is right for the taking for him. Because I, I guess when I first go through it, I see some of these numbers, I go... I mean, you know, to your point, a horse like Jolton Joe, from career debut to the most recent start, he's been a mid to low, mid seventy to low eighty kind of horse. I don't know why all of a sudden I would anticipate some sort of a forward move with a horse like Miami, lightly raced. That was his first start since the middle of March against a salty older group. Now this is, in theory, class relief in my opinion, and. Like you say, you've got that bullet in the back pocket, and, and that is that is cooking. That is proper time as far as a workout is concerned. I get it. Time is not everything in workouts. To your point, though, if you can see who they're working with, who the trainer is pairing them up with, and in a perfect world, you can find out who's actually aboard for the workout, that's sort of the information that I think makes clocker reports and things of that nature really valuable as opposed to anybody can see the time. And the other thing that's worth mentioning, some people just ignore the works. I mean, that's a whole debate, whether works matter too much, whatever. I do look at works. I think it does matter. More importantly than the time, he's been working steadily since his last race. He's been clocking almost every week. He had a small gap. It was two weeks. But this is the first time I looked back. That Saratoga race, he was not working steadily into that race. I think maybe just threw him in there. I'm not really sure the reason. It was the end of the meet. Maybe just wanted to get a race into him. I'm not really sure. He seems to be cranking up a little bit for this this race he's already run well at Gulfstream and when you look at this field I mean all of an American phenom in my opinion you know what all these horses are for the most part unless silence gets the distance you know what Joe Joe is you know what Flamotion is we don't know what uh, Miami can be we have no idea uh, if this horse is going to be a future state horse or not and I would take seven to two four to one to find out and in a race like this while it may only be seven horses I think they're right now going into it anyway on paper, they look relatively evenly matched, so maybe you do end up getting that three and a half, four to one range. Howard Kravitz, race number nine at Gulfstream on Friday, the Friday feature. He's going to go to the outside runner, the number eight, Miami Noy, hoping to get somewhere around seven to two or four to one. Howard, thank you again for doing this. I thought the analysis was fantastic. Good luck, and maybe maybe you will be the first three-time sort of person to show up on this thing. I love coming on the show. I just want to compliment again you and the producers for coming up with this idea and letting fans come on and talk. I got a lot of really great feedback in August when I was on from friends and people I didn't even know um, about my analysis, and I do the best I can. And I just think it's a great idea to give other people a chance to come on and share their opinions. That's what this game is all about. We need to you know, spread the love, so to speak, and get more people involved. So thanks again. I appreciate that, Howard. Thank you for taking some time and coming aboard. And again, good luck this week, and hopefully we talk again soon. Great. Take care, Matt. Thanks. Thank you again to Howard Kravitz for helping out with this week's Friday feature. Again, if you want to be in Howard's position next week, all you need to do is leave a selection beneath the video player on YouTube for the ninth at Gulfstream on Friday, the N1X. There were enough folks from last week who sort of mentioned that they had missed the handicapping aspect from the old show. Um, So for at least this week, and maybe this becomes sort of a recurring segment, if you will, uh, I figured I'd go over a race as well. So Howard went over race number nine. I'm going to go over race number 10. So you're going to get a little bit of both. You'll get the late double on Friday, the first Friday, the championship meet down at Gulfstream Park. Race number 10, a mile and a 16th, non-winners of three lifetime. These are $20,000 claimers. Uh, The way that I'm going to go about this, I think this is a very wide open race. I'll be very curious to see what the morning line looks like when it comes out. But I I went through and I only assigned 
an odds line or a value line to the contenders in the race, in my opinion. And there are a lot of them. There are six to be exact, by my estimation anyway. The way that you can do that, as opposed to doing the full 100-point line, the horses you deem to be contenders, assign them 80%, as opposed to the full 100. You're effectively saying, the horses that I don't think are true contenders, they account for about 20%, and if you're being honest, you're going to go through, you'd be assigning them 2%, 3% chance of winning. You're not going to be considering betting them to win anyway. Because strictly from a probability standpoint, if you assign them a 2% chance, roughly one out of every 50 times they race, you know, that that horse is going to win, that, that's, not a, that's not a positive expectation. In all likelihood, if they win, you tip your cap and say, okay, good on you. Um, it is what it is. Doing it this way not only saves a little bit of time, but it really makes you focus in on the horses you believe have legitimate chances of winning the race. So I did sort of call it the SparkNotes version the contenders version of a value line. And we'll go through, and I won't talk about all the horses in this race, but we'll show a couple of replays that I think are pertinent, at least to my contenders. And I'll be curious what all of you have to say. Leave your comments beneath the video player on YouTube if you like the idea of more handicapping being part of this, recognizing that they're not going to be the sexiest races. We're very unlikely to get great grade one or grade two or even grade three action like we did last weekend, given it was the holiday situation. But it still adds to sort of the the overall show and, again, gets a little bit of the preview aspect from the old show uh, to go along with a bit of the recap and obviously the new Friday feature. So um, as you can see, my past performances, I have the Timeform U.S. Pace Projector in the upper right-hand corner. This is assuming there are no scratches. Again, we don't have morning line odds, anything like that. The four horse to me is, is, I don't want to say the key to the race, but pretty darn close to it, simply because a horse like Super Jaguar with Edgar Prado aboard off the claim for Paul Kopaj, coming from Mark Cassie's barn, this horse, to date anyway, the two victories have come in gate-to-wire fashion. There are a couple of races on the horse's page that would lead you to, in, to, to believe that perhaps he doesn't have to have the lead, but the horse is certainly at his best when allowed to dictate things on the front end. And based on the time form U.S. pace projector and just an overall quick run through of the race, um, this horse should be on the lead barring a bad start. The most recent start, don't hold that one against. It was against slightly better company, set a wicked pace, felt the effects of it up the track late. If this horse is afforded the ability to get out there and cut out the fractions and they end up being more on the moderate side, Super Jaguar has a big chance, I think, to wire this field in the nightcap on Friday. I assigned 5-1 to one as far as the value line is concerned. 17% uh, equates to about 5%, uh, excuse me, 5-1. to one. And For those of you who maybe this is still new, you take 100 points, you divide by whatever you have assigned. So in this instance, I assigned 17 um, you're going to end up getting about six and change. You subtract one to get to five, and I round down to five to get your five to one odds. So there you have it. That's how I landed on the five to one for Super Jaguar. A couple of the other contenders, in my opinion, I had them separated into the five to one group and the six to one group. Uh, the number two horse is a horse I believe has a big chance in here. That's Positive Phil for Juan Avila's barn. Tried the N3L rank on turf in the most recent start. I think it is important to note um, let's just kind of compare to a horse like the number three, Mason Song. Mason Song has been stuck at this N3L level for quite some time, going back to the fall of 2019. To me, when there's a prolonged streak at a condition and you haven't been able to break through it, you, it doesn't mean it's impossible. But for me, it's 
it's kind of exposing you that, you know what, this might not quite, you might not be able to handle it. You might not be able to cut the mustard at this level. Conversely, you've got a horse like the number two, Positive Phil, who on turf, which again, that's what this horse wants to do, has only tried this level once and nearly got the job done in the race from Gulfstream Park West on November 20th. You're going to see that Bacano, who's also in this race, ran third behind Positive Phil about a length and a half. You may wonder why I have Positive Phil as a contender, but I don't Bacano. To me, in large part, it has to do with the way the race was run. Now, you're going to note the number four horse in this race is Positive Phil, who we're talking about. And to me, the way the race was run, you're going to see him in these blue silks right here. And by the way, you can find all these replays over on Gulfstream Park's YouTube channel. They do a phenomenal job. They post the individual replays as well as their replay show with Ron Nicoletti, Jason Blewett. I'm sure Acacia Courtney will be back when she heads down there this week. Take a look at this horse. This is who we're talking about, the four in the blue silks. This is Positive Phil. The reason I have Positive Phil as a contender but I don't Picano is because I feel like the last move was the winning move. Positive Phil was the first one to commence his bid, and you're going to see him get run down late in the shadow of the wire. I thought this was a really solid effort all around, and I think it's one that makes him a legitimate threat to win this race, break through this N3L condition, and get the job done. From a pricing standpoint, it's such a wide-open group. I don't know what you're going to get. He was 5-2, to two, almost 3-1 to one in that most recent start, but I have a feeling this is a deeper group of horses considering the condition is effectively the same. I know we're looking at 20,000 versus 12.5 claimers, but for all intents and purposes, we're dealing with the same group, the same level anyway. I think this just happens to be a deeper group and positive fill for him to make the first move in that most recent start, get run down by the horses who rallied from off of it even farther back than he did. I think it was arguably a winning effort, and I want to give him a big chance in here. I made him 5-1 to one on my line. The other horse that I have at 5-1 to one, is the number seven in here. Now, this is one of two in here for Mike Maker. They're going to take money because they are Mike Maker, if for no other reason, which makes me believe there's a very unlikely chance I get the five to one on time for trouble. But in the most recent start, he went off as your two to one favorite. You, you're going to note that I have written underneath some of these. For the most part, I go through and I, I note what the speed figures these horses who they ran against in their next start have earned. But in a race like this, the October 18th race from Gulfstream Park West, many of the horses in their next start because of the wet weather in South Florida, they ended up running in off-the-turf races, which to me is not representative of how good or how, how good or, or not so good a certain group of horses is because they're intended to run on a certain surface when they can't do that. I don't think you should hold against them their subsequent starts in which they may earn putrid buyer speed figures compared to what they're typically accustomed to earning on grass. So I'll write some sort of a note as I have here, majority off the turf in their next start. It doesn't really make a difference to me what that race ultimately resulted in. The reason I have time for trouble in here, and you're going to note, I have circled in the short comment, checked early. Keep an eye, he's not even in the picture yet, but look for the Rapoli Silks going into the first turn here the first time through. You're going to see him getting a little bit awkward down on the inside and then check up a little bit right now. A little bit of an awkward step, and then he gets floated about 3-4 path rounding that first turn. That in and of itself, it's not the end-all be-all, but it certainly doesn't help your cause when you're trying to get settled, conserve your energy, prepare for a late bid. So give him a little bit of credit there. I think the important piece is, we're just going to fast forward, they're going into the far turn, 
And you're going to note there's really not a heck of a lot of running that goes on from the back of the pack. And it almost looks as though the rider on Time for Trouble was going to just wrap up. Edgar's eyes. He's going to have the mount again on Friday. He's not even in the picture yet. You see everybody else under an all-out ride. Keep an eye on the Rapoli Soak. Still not even in picture right now. Zayas is basically wrapped up on him, recognizing that, you know what, the trouble early on, it probably did us in. Really, we don't have much of a chance to win this thing. Now, he's going to give you a little bit of an effort, don't get me wrong. But the idea is, I don't think you got a ride that would necessarily suggest he recognized what he had. We weren't going to win. We're too far back. The trouble early kind of put us behind the eight ball. For him to rally the way that he did under, I'm going to call it mild urging, and gallop out, you'll see moments, ah, well, in the replay show, they didn't put it up. But anyway, he galloped out very, very well. It leads me to believe that, with, you know, if he had a cleaner run into the first turn, would it have made a difference? I don't know. Perhaps, perhaps it wouldn't have. But the actions of the rider lead me to believe that he was saying, you know what, we're going to live to fight another day. We don't need to really get into him too hard or, or, or beat him up too bad. Let's take care of him. We'll put in a little bit of a late run. And you know what? Maybe we can get a, a very, very minor award. And that's ultimately what you got. And I think with a cleaner situation early on, I think with, granted, it's not going to be a very swift pace scenario. At least it doesn't project to be that way. I do think that race was better than it looks. It was his first try at the N3L condition. He had broke through the N2L ranks two starts back at Gulfstream. Both of his wins have come at Gulfstream Park. I think time for trouble. I think that last race was better than it looks on paper. And even when you go back and take a look at the tape, he may be the one that you get the five to one or I get the five to one or better that I'm in search of. As opposed to the other maker horse in here who's breaking from the far outside. And I think a big reason that the number 12 Let's play hardball is going to get bet in here is because of this right here. Luis Saez and Maker, when they pair up, they're dynamite. And whether this horse deserves to get bet the way that I think he's going to get bet or not is kind of beside the point. The idea is, I don't know, well, I shouldn't say it's beside the point. He's going to take more money than I think he necessarily should because of the connections. And we're starting to see that, not starting to, it's, it's happened for a long time. I feel like that happens a lot with Chad Brown's horses. We just saw them dominate out on the West Coast this past weekend down at Del Mar. Some of them, you know, I suppose you could make an argument that domestic spending slipped through the cracks a little bit. But on my value line on racingpicks.com, I made him 5 to 1. He went off at 4. So I think that was pretty close to, to reasonable as far as the value is concerned. But especially at Saratoga or at Belmont or in any of these maiden races that Chad has a horse on grass, whether they deserve to be bet the way that they are or not, it's just a matter of fact. They're going to get over bet because you see Chad Brown's name, in all likelihood you see one of the Ortiz boys aboard, uh, maybe you see Javier, but they're going to get bet probably more than they should or is indicative of their actual chances of winning a race. And I think the, the thing that I've seen with a lot of folks on Twitter and social media Folks that do make a value line, and this is just my opinion, you can agree or disagree. I think a lot of people wildly overestimate the chances of a horse actually winning. There are so many things. If you think about it, you're running a simulation 100 times. There are so many instances where something silly can happen. The horse can dump the rider. The horse can find trouble early on. The horse can clip heels. The horse can fall. You know, there are so many different things that if you're just looking at it big picture and saying, if I ran this thing a hundred times, you have to 
assume that there are going to be some of those 100 instances where something unforeseen is going to happen. Sort of the built-in variance, the built-in randomness. So when I see some of these value lines of 70% or, you know, great bet at, 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 you know, eight to five or better in a 10 or 12 horse field, I'm not saying it's impossible, but I mean, the the horse almost needs to be just a complete standout on paper, in my opinion, to be looking at a horse that way. And perhaps I got duped into it with the Kentucky Derby. I felt like four to five on Tis the Law was an accurate representation of his chances of winning. And in hindsight, was it a little overzealous perhaps, but he had the fastest race that anyone had run. He had accomplished it at a mile and a quarter. Many of these other horses had not run a mile and a quarter in the past, and he projected to get a good trip. So all of those things put together, again, maybe I was a little overzealous. Maybe he should have been closer to 40%, you know, which is equating somewhere to that sort of off the top of my head. Uh, well, you know, we can, let's do it together as I pull up the calculator. 100 divided by 40 equals 2.5 minus 1. So you're looking at roughly 7 to 5 or 8 to 5, you know, depending on how you want to round. The idea is going off at 4 to 5, I made the argument that he was actually value at that point. In hindsight, maybe I, that was one of the instances where I was a little bit overzealous with it. I don't think many of these horses, their chances of winning are nearly as strong as some people will make them out to be. And I would just say you are better off in the long run being a little bit more conservative than being a little bit more aggressive as far as assigning odds to individual horses because of the things that you can't even imagine could happen. So, long-winded way of saying, I think this horse is going to be much less than the 6-1 to one that I have assigned to him. I don't think I'm going to be making a bet on him because I don't think I'm going to get the number. The other horses that I've taken a look at and I've sort of deemed worthy of consideration, and the reason I have the cutoff at 6-1, to one, if you go through Barry Meadows' uh, famous book and and probably the best money management book that there is. Um, The idea is six to one is about as high as you want to go from really your estimation of a horse's chances of winning. Because really, when you think about it, 14 out of 100, it's not a a great chance of winning. It's not terrible. It's a lot better than two or three percent. But that's effectively saying 86 out of the 100 times the horse doesn't win. So you don't really want to get too far down the tracks there because then you're really just trying to make cases for very unlikely things to happen. Spinning Kitten is a horse I've always liked. I think he's an admirable type. He broke through the N2L condition most recently. This will be his first time at the N3L level. Um, He is very, very gutsy for the level. And he had a string of just really brutal trips, in my opinion, that he just, he wasn't afforded the best or the most optimum chance of winning optimal optimum you get what i'm saying stepping up in class maybe that's going to be a little bit difficult for him to handle i like that bravo is aboard i'd imagine you're going to have a more forward position with spinning kitten than in some of his prior runs but in reality the reason he had been as far back in some of those races was because he didn't get out of the gate all that well or he got bounced around early to me this is a horse who has decent natural speed the most recent start he went for home real early And he got into a prolonged duel, put another horse away, and had somebody else come up on his outside, and he held him off. I thought it was a really good effort, and I think this horse fits in here well. I, 
you know, he's taken money in many of his starts, but I wonder if he moving from N2L to N3L for lower profile connections, maybe he's the kind of horse that will slip through the cracks a little bit. And maybe I do get that six or eight to one, uh, which I, I would deem as, as fair value in a spot like this. And the other horse from a value line standpoint that I have looked at and considered a win contender is the number five small hope. Now, if I'm being totally honest, I don't love this horse, but Ken Sweezy's barn has been really, really strong over the past month. I think about 24% um, and almost half of them hitting the board. Uh, the blinker equipment change doesn't really bother me. Uh, I'm going to just call it a failed experiment going seven and a half at Delaware most recently. The bigger concern I have is that race so far has come back very, very poor. And to me, there's a whale of a difference between Tampa's turf course and Gulfstream's turf. And I feel like his best runs have come at Tampa. Now, it doesn't mean that he can't win this race. The presence of Paco Lopez goes a long way. And again, the equipment, the blinkers coming off, he should get back to one of his better efforts. But I just have a feeling he's going to be an underlay, in my opinion. Therefore, I don't really want him. If he goes off at six, I will be happy to consider. But ultimately, I don't expect that to be the case. I think he's going to be among the favorites when it's all said and done. And having said that, the favorites could very easily be three to one and seven to two in here. But those are the six horses that I have effectively deemed what I would consider contenders. Um, if I had to land on one right now, I don't know that I'm going to go that far. Um, I would encourage you to head on over to racingpicks.com for the Friday analysis, because I'm sure I will use this race as one of them. But those are the, those are the horses that I think represent legitimate chances to win. If one of the other horses that I have not discussed wins, then I just chalk it up. I, I tip my cap and say, you know what? It's a race that I wasn't going to have. And there's nothing wrong with that. You're going to be wrong much more often than you're going to be right in this game. And you have to just accept sometimes you're going to be wrong. And if one of those other horses wins, I'll just say, hey, you know what? I looked at the race wrong. Or maybe I overestimated a few of the chances or underestimated some of the other runners. But when push comes to shove, you need to go through and, and make calls and say, you know what? I like these horses. I don't like these ones. And these are the prices that I'm willing to play said horses at. This is race 10 at Gulfstream on Friday afternoon. The N3L contenders, excuse me, the N3L condition. Um, and these are the horses I consider contenders. Race number nine, we heard from Howard in the Friday feature, uh, who he likes in there. Maybe this will be the way I go about it. Whatever the Friday feature is, maybe I'll piggyback and use either a race some race connecting it so we can play some sort of a double here altogether. If you have opinions on this race or thoughts or a value line, whatever it may be, let me know beneath the video player on YouTube or on Twitter at Bernie or underscore Matt. This has been episode 43 of the Matt Bernier Show. Again, however you listen, thank you for doing so. Many ways to find the show, whether it is on YouTube, whether it is on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or SoundCloud or InTheMoneyPodcast.com. So many different ways to find this show. However you listen, please rate, review, and subscribe. If you're on YouTube, make sure the bell icon is lit up so you get notified anytime new content is there. Again, you know where to follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Bernie or underscore Matt. Uh, until next week, this has been episode 43 of the Matt Burner, your show. Good luck however you play, whatever you play, and wherever you play. <laughs>